hush. The robin is setting her nest. My eyes automatically flick up to the left when I'm rounding that corner of the veranda, watering the potted plants. And three days ago, I saw her sitting patiently, still as death, on her new clutch of eggs. What surprised me was that she didn't flutter off into the trees as I approached. In the past, she's always flown away to a nearby branch and sounded the alarm. When this time she didn't move, not a muscle, I crept more slowly and quietly about my chores so as not to disturb her. On a near Uruka branch, her mate clucked softly. He wasn't electing alarmed either. The next day I saw the female again in almost exactly the same position, and again she didn't move at my approach. I snatched the binoculars from their perch just inside my office door and focused in tightly enough to be able to spot any movement, but there wasn't even the flicker of an eye. Our house guests, Herman and Lucia, were having a late lunch at the table near the corner and I asked them not to make any sudden moves. As I looked on through the binoculars, I expressed to them the fear that maybe she had died. Maybe there is some new avian flu that hasn't been heard from yet. It was so unusual for the birds not to be shrieking with all this activity on the veranda. Lucia suggested that maybe, after successfully raising a brood in the same nest, the birds no longer see us as a threat. I thought this unlikely. But when even on the following day, the female, who had obviously changed positions, still didn't take alarm when I came near her, I wondered if perhaps Lucia was right. What a lovely idea. I hope the nest holds up. There were no visible home improvements in between broods and it's looking pretty shabby. Somebody's been eating swallows. I haven't caught her at it yet, but three times now she has left feathers under the dining room table. I can't believe anybody is snatching these birds out of the air. I have watched them try and the swallows are much too speedy. Besides, Frida's too fat both she and Trixie are getting on in years. And Bootsy never catches anything but a stationary cicada, moth, or butterfly. It must be that the birds are swooping under the veranda roof and, unable to see the glass on the north side, stunning themselves against it and fall into the deck where one of the cats retrieves them for lunch. The expanse of glass is huge, a total of ten large sliding windows set between the posts that support the veranda roof. Rosa keeps them clean to the point of invisibility, even to me. I have banged against them more than once. From the outside on a sunny day, they reflect the surrounding countryside, trees, clouds, lake. From the inside, they look just like outside. Apart from protecting that corner of the house from the weather, we wanted to retain the spectacular view. 
I have seen big windows like these at tourist lodges, where they paste or paint a large black raptor shape on the glass to scare away the birds. I'm going to have to come up with something. I know people who won't keep cats because they kill birds. In the long view, cats and birds are both part of the same food chain that we are. We eat chickens. In another life, I also ate pheasant, quail, dove, capon, duck, goose, turkey, and Cornish hen, some of these killed in the wild. But we also enjoy the company of cats. What to do? We have created and are still creating more avian habitat, which results in more birds. As far as I know, we haven't attracted any wild cats, but as the habitat grows, this could happen too. So for now, more birds means more accidental food for at least one domestic cat. Sometimes it's hard to be comfortable with a long view. After a dull morning, the sun came gloriously out and I was lured outdoors and up the little stone path to nowhere through the rock garden to sit once again under the hokote tree. At midday, the dappled sunlight felt warm on my skin and I had to lift my arm to shade my eyes as I looked up into the lacy foliage. Amazing, I thought, it's already fruiting. And I had a sudden sense of a huge chunk of time passed and lost since I'd seen this tree in fruit so many months before my medical emergency. They're not ripe yet, just inch-long pear-shaped bright green nuggets waiting a few more weeks for the Red Lord parrots to discover them. They have an apple-like crunch and a musty sweetness that our previous dogs loved. I wonder if Fortuna and Flor will like them as much. On the same broad branch of the Hokote, the same drunken bromeliad has all but fallen over, now all dried and browned, its pods blown out, seeds long ago released to the wind. Considering the amount of wind it has survived since I first saw it bloom, I'd have to say a bromeliad is a sturdy plant indeed. I, too, have survived a big wind in my life. Only one of many, to be sure. But it would be nice to think I have learned some lessons about facing such winds with more grace and equanimity than I have demonstrated so far. Trixie is having a really good time terrorizing the robins. No matter where I am in the house, I know when she is out on the veranda near the nest because the male kicks up such a noisy fuss. The other day I was doing yoga on the opposite side of the house and Trixie came dashing around the corner with the male in hot pursuit, flying under the roof and swooping out over the rail, almost skimming the cat's back. To her, it's a game with a potential tasty treat at the end. Her mere presence entices the male to action, and then she gets to run and then leap and to try to catch him in the middle of a dive. <laughs>
She knows I don't like this bird-torturing side of her character. Yesterday I was reading in my office chair, from which I have a view through the French doors onto the veranda, with the Corteza Amarillo beyond. I was amazed when, for the first time ever, that robin landed on the veranda rail right outside my office and started hollering at me. I knew Trixie had to be out there, so I called her name in that low, threatening voice I use when I'm trying to convey that her behavior doesn't please me. Seconds later, she appeared at the French doors from the direction of the nesting corner, wearing her who-me look. It's pretty hard for me to accept that this pair of robins recognizes me. But what other conclusion can I draw? The female regularly lets me water the plants near her nest with barely a flutter. I do it slowly and quietly so as to disturb her less, but she knows I'm there, just as her mate knows, because I hear him clucking in a tree nearby. Even when the cats are with me when I'm watering now, nobody sets off any alarms. Could they possibly feel my good intentions toward them? At some very profound level, all life is connected. Years ago, I had an extraordinary experience with three young sea lions in the Galapagos. I was snorkeling and had paddled away from the group and the tour guide. Suddenly, the large dark eyes of a sea lion appeared on the other side of my snorkel mask. We both hung there, suspended in the water for what seemed like forever, looking into each other's eyes. The words, I wish you no harm, boomed in my head so loudly that I really, at that moment, didn't know if I heard them out loud or just thought them. But a moment later, the sea lion swooped under me, and within seconds, two others had joined us, and I found myself in the middle of a sea lion game. They were swirling up, down, and all around me, brushing against me, blowing bubbles in my face. I tried to maneuver myself in the water to keep my eyes on them, but they were too fast. It was delightful. I laughed out loud in my snorkel tube and accidentally snucked in a mouthful of seawater. When I surfaced and pulled off my gear, I was filled with the purest joy I had ever felt in my life. This was in no way a unique experience. I have since read accounts of other people interacting with porpoises and whales and having similar feelings of oneness. But these only served to prove to me that what I experienced was real, that I indeed stepped over the edge of wildness and touched, for a fleeting precious moment, another. It was magical and it has shaped all my experiences of the natural world ever since. It was not long after that experience of another world that I chose to completely uproot and physically move to Costa Rica, another language, another culture, another country. Even if subconsciously at the time, I wanted to open my life up to more experiences of the other. Innately, I knew that there was a lot more to be lived out there in the world than I had been allowing myself so far. And I have become convinced 
that it's only when we open up completely to the other that we become most truly ourselves. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time. Thank you.